0: All right. What's going on, everybody? For CryptoCurrent, I am Steven Miller and you are watching The Aftershock, the show where we keep you connected to all things Web3. Of course, today I'm joined by my co-host, Richard Carthon. Richard, I have to ask you to keep it brief, but how are you?
1: I'm good um excited to uh be going on a trip pretty soon but uh wise good to go how are you doing
0: i'm doing pretty damn good dude um it's gonna be a very quick episode today compared to our normal um aftershocks we typically take these things around uh the latter part of 30 minutes to 45 but we're on a time crunch today folks so we're gonna do this thing in record speed and uh hopefully have a little bit of fun doing it but Of course, if you're not subscribed yet, please make sure you're subscribed to us over on YouTube and following us wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We put these shows out every Wednesday for you to make sure that you are informed. And also we put out our interview series every single Monday where Richard interviews the thought leaders who are shaping the future of Web3. But without much further ado, let's dive right in to this week's Aftershock. The Aftershock. So to start out the Aftershock this week in our Web3 lightning round, the top story is the FBI issuing a warning over DeFi exploits and certain open source development. I find this fascinating because for the longest time it's been speculated that the FBI has actually been contributing code to certain open source projects and different protocols. Um, Richard, I kind of just want to move through this one, but it definitely serves as an important reminder to our audience that not everything they find in Web3 is going to be safe. Is that right?
1: That's correct. Scammers are going to scam and they're going to continue to try to exploit as much as possible. And uh, I don't take this as a negative that the FBI is starting to look into these different things because it's important to make sure that people are being safe. So,
0: Yep, no question. So let's go ahead and move this thing forward and we'll make sure that we keep you safe throughout your time following Cryptocurrent. Next up is the the news that Washington, D.C.'s um, Department of Revenue is officially moving forward with suing Michael Saylor and MicroStrategy for tax fraud and back taxes. Um, This is brutal, dude. Like, of all of the things to happen to Michael Saylor and MicroStrategy, this, it's not a good look. So they're claiming that there is millions of dollars of back taxes due, um, something to the tune of like $100 million. (laughs) And... It's all because apparently Michael Saylor is also a DC citizen. Um, and I think they, ha- they have MicroStrategy. One of their main offices is in DC and they're saying that they've not been paying DC ta- uh, taxes. So it's interesting to me that this is happening right now. Do I think that it holds up? I mean, look, they're a major global organization. And I imagine they probably have the lawyers to help back them up on this. Yeah. Um, Anything more to say about the story?
1: It's going to be a settlement case. I think they're going to pay some. I don't know if they're going to pay hundred million dollars, but they're going to pay something.
0: No doubt. Well, look, let's go ahead and leave this one behind us and get into more exciting news. Because as much as I want to talk about taxes today, I'd rather talk about you know the world of UEFA Champions League. So we came to you with news, I want to say it was something to the tune of, I think it was like six months ago or so, maybe eight months ago, telling you that Crypto.com has officially moved into a big sponsorship deal with UEFA Champions League. So really interesting news there until today, where we have just found out that they're officially rug pulling the sponsorship deal, terminating a $495 million sponsorship for UEFA because there are certain regulatory concerns now facing crypto.com for advertising across Europe. There's apparently new, new advertising standards going in. It's going to hold advertisers that are crypto and Web3 native to a higher standard and disclosure. So apparently, uh, they said we're just not willing to risk it and they pulled out. Does this do more damage, uh, do you think, or is this just going to be a moot point at the end of the day?
1: I don't know if it does more damage. It just, it, more than anything, it sucks. Like Europe's been doing a lot of things that are very anti uh, crypto. And uh, I don't know that having crypto.com be the title sponsor really hurts. But hey, uh, I, I'm sure they'll find another sponsor, but it, it, it sucks for crypto.com. But uh, to, to your point, it's probably going to ultimately point, but it still sucks.
0: Well, we'll keep you updated on it. Again, I'm not really you know, happy about it. I just don't think that it necessarily does a whole bunch of damage. I think this is not, it's going to be taken as a FUD piece against Crypto.com. But honestly, they're covering their own butt as far as I'm concerned. But let's dive into our final story in the Web3 lightning round. One that I know will hit hard for some of our listeners and one of our hosts. So this news today comes from Helium. Helium, of course, is the cloud mining service that works primarily over um, short-range Wi-Fi signals and um, creating networks between uh, different Wi-Fi networks. So Helium is considering abandoning its own blockchain that it spent years developing and deploying out on in favor of moving to Solana. How do you feel about this as a Helium miner yourself?
1: It sucks. Um, It's very disappointing. But also they have to do something because last couple of months, like the mining does nothing. Like having one of the miners and all this kind of stuff, the rewards have been shaky. The blockchain keeps breaking it. They have to do something. So to completely save themselves, this is a pretty large leap. And again, overall, it's discipline that they're having to do this. But I see it as a positive that they're actually trying to solve it. I think they've hit their head against the wall as long as they can on trying to solve their own blockchain. And now they just really Gotta punt and and change ships. So it's gut punch. It sucks. But hopefully you can get them back on track.
0: My hope is exactly that. I want to see this project succeed. I think it's doing some really novel stuff out there. But again, the complaint across the community is that because they were relying somewhat on the Ethereum blockchain, that it, it was just too damn slow. And I don't know. I guess I guess in some ways, like I respect the decision, but at the same time, like you're gonna burn a lot of your real OGs that backed the project, you know, going back quite a long time. So I don't know the exact, you know, derate, like the um, the term with which they've been around in the timeline, but it is interesting to me that like, they're truly deciding to abandon ship on it. So we'll keep you posted here on this one, um, but let's go ahead and forge ahead into our conversation around last week in the metaverse, right? There's a lot going on in metaverse activities this week. Um, and so I wanted to, again, forge ahead and get um, this in front of you. So the first piece of news is coming just at the tail end of last week. And that is that OpenSea has officially announced when the merge comes for Ethereum proof of stake, they're only going to be supporting NFTs that exist on the upgraded Ethereum proof of stake chain. Now there's been a ton, like a metric ton Of debate on you know what's going to happen regarding replay attacks where you have nfts represented on both chains and truly how many protocols are going to end up supporting the new proof of stake chain but in this case OpenSea is laying down the you know line in the sand very early and kind of in a lot of ways leading the path for other protocols to say hey like the whole proof of wake the proof of work chain debate is just moot. It's, it's not going to happen. So I'm curious about your take on this because I think we're going to see a lot more protocols and projects come forward saying we're not going to be supporting proof of work. And it's going to further underline the fact that this is an uncontested hard fork in that moving forward to proof of stake is not something that the, the greater community sees as a contested hard fork like Ethereum Classic was to the original ETH. Um, merge over to the current ETH that we know today. So what do you think about all that?
1: Man, you pretty much just covered it. Uh, Ultimately, you need, and when I say you, the world of Ethereum and the companies that are built around it and are going to interface with it have to make a firm decision on do we move forward with proof of stake or do we move forward with proof of work? And the answer is, Group of stake. So, what happens to all the other stuff? And you have uh, potential NFTs on both chains. Well, OpenSea is the go-to for NFTs right now. It's just not even close. Yes, you have other up-and-coming marketplaces, but OpenSea set in the standard. So, basically, they're blind the sand. Pretty confident everybody else is going to follow suit. Only people that are going to really be upset about this, again, are Ethereum miners. It shouldn't affect like the greater world of like, how your entities are being affected. But it's important to be aligned and put your foot in the ground on what side you're going to be on. Because this is going to be absolute chaos.
0: I heard a lot of people across the last two or three days start talking about how they plan on manipulating the system by taking all of the... ETH proof proof of work copies of their tokens and their NFTs and sending them all to a completely separate, clean new wallet on the ETH proof of work network, selling them all, and then immediately bridging whatever the resulting ETH is back over to the ETH proof of stake network. I don't know how I feel about that.
1: How do you feel about it? Is the idea to have a... A Tax loss harvest, like it's an interesting concept. I don't know, uh, since you're putting me on the spot, I haven't had enough time to like really analyze both sides of it. But gut says, I don't think I would do that off the bat. But
0: the way that I've looked at it, it seems to me like there's an opportunity there to make some what I would consider legit ETH off of the illegitimate ETH. Um, uh, but at the same time, like, I just, I already look at how much further down in price the ETH proof of work is worth on the ETH W blockchain, as they're calling it right now. Like, I think we covered it like two weeks ago, but like once that blockchain officially launched, the ETH on it was like 68% at discount from what Ethereum's price was. So like, I don't know if the opportunity is really worth the amount of time and effort that you're going to put into it if you go down that path but at the very least it's an interesting perspective to look at um i can tell you this like i am just exclusively going to be using the proof of stake chain and part of me says that like i want to have cryptocurrency just endorse exclusively moving forward with only supporting the 2.0 chain um but i'm not gonna make that call because i'm not that's above my pay grade so let's go go ahead Yeah, we'll see. Let's go ahead and move ahead to our second OpenSea story, and that is a very simple one. That they, they've officially announced they're going to be opening up and adding Polygon support to the Seaport protocol. Now, Seaport is their bigger open source, you know, versioning of OpenSea, so that it can op- it can operate across all different aggregators and be pulling in OpenSea listings across all sorts of different protocols the fact that they're adding support for polygon nfts in this is just the next step in terms of them realizing more profit at the end of the day right like this is this is a massive path to more revenue for them because a lot of nfts in the future are going to be deployed on polygon it's just flat out faster so do you see this as a bigger deal than the first story or is this um the lesser
1: of the two um i see this as a lesser um but it doesn't mean that it's still not a big story. Polygon, y'all, Polygon's a sleeper. Polygon really is emerging as one of the go-to platforms to be building on right now. And it just keeps getting more and more validation. And OpenSea, again, is a a big contester in the the world, and that means you're going to start seeing more NFTs being built on Polygon. So keep your eyes out on Polygon.
0: Yep, I think that that is a very, very great way to wrap it up. Now, another quick story that hit the radar this past week was that Facebook and Instagram have officially activated their NFT integrations. I will be honest with you, Rich. I've not played with it at all because I don't use either of these these platforms. Have you? I know you're relatively big into Instagram. Have you at least seen some of the integration over there?
1: I haven't yet, um, but I'll probably mess around and play with it eventually. But I think it's so interesting that Facebook's Instagram, they're owned by the same company, is starting to put in nft integrations after twitter has done that and had a little success with it i think this is going to slowly start to become the norm we'll, we'll know that we're starting to get to mass impact once tiktok makes out of things
0: yeah i don't know if you're gonna ever see that one bud but you know dream big i guess this is one of those dare to dream situations um i think that it's interesting that they're already starting to roll out polygon and ETH nft integration but what was curious to me is that they didn't yet make good on their Flow blockchain integration. More on Flow to come shortly, but it's still very interesting to me nonetheless because they're one of the more centralized chains. And that seems to me because like, again, Facebook, Meta, Instagram, they're all centralized organizations. It seems to me that they would have had a much easier time onboarding a, a truly centralized blockchain as opposed to something that's more open source and a little bit more complicated. Again, just my two cents on it. But let's go ahead and jump into that Dapper Labs and Flow Blockchain story. I got to tell you, I think this might be the one of the week. This may very well be the story of the week. Ticketmaster. You may know them as the biggest distributor of um, proper ticketed experiences globally, not just in the States, globally. They've officially tapped Dapper Labs. And the flow blockchain for supporting nft ticketed events we've heard so much like across the last year and a half to two years that we're going to see ticketed events become a massive um you know deployment and onboarding zone for nfts into the you know cultural zeitgeist my question is how far do you think this goes? Do you think that from what we've seen out of Dapper and Flow so far means that they have the potential and the skill and the throughput to be able to support all of ticketed events globally?
1: Man. My initial gut says yes, just because like, yes, are there are a lot of ticket sales all the time when you think about it from an international standpoint. Sure. Is there enough to clog the Flow blockchain? I don't know. I don't know that we're we're seeing 10,000 tickets being sold every second in the world. If, as long as it can handle the throughput, because of, yes, there are people that are using the Flow blockchain that has so many transactions per second that it does just generally with everything else being built on it. Then you're also throwing you know, potential Ticketmaster sales on top of it. I don't see really getting jammed up like a a problem that i would initially have if they had picks like solana is like what happens if it gets jammed up and it goes offline for a while not a good look well hadn't really got that problem and they should be able to handle the throughput therefore i don't really see it as a problem i I don't i think they i think this is huge news and congrats to flow for for landing this uh deal and it's it's on them to just basically prove that their blockchain can can And as long as it does, it's going to do really well. But if it starts to have salon type problems, they might not stay as the main blockchain forever.
0: Look, I really do think the, the decentralized blockchains, or at least the ones that are supposed to be decentralized, are going to be the big winners at the end of the day. And they're going to be the ones that ultimately are most utilized. But do not sleep on centralized blockchains. Just because they're centralized don't, does not mean they're bad or that you know you shouldn't be finding ways to utilize them or getting exposure to them because again they're going to be worth a lot of money at some point in the future Um, i personally think that flow would be my preferred between flow and solana but i see both of those as like the premier centralized blockchains right now Um, so we'll keep an eye on it for you um, and keep you updated on this now into our final two stories of last week in the metaverse and Honestly, there is a reason why I've flown through this so far because these last two stories are very big and there's actually a lot to talk about within them. So I'm going to try and get through them quickly, but again, trying to be respective of time. Proof Collective, maybe you've heard of them. They're the the, uh, parent to the Proof Collective Pass, the Grails Project, and none other than the PFP Project, Moonbirds. Moonbirds and that entire ecosystem have been a massive massive contributor of revenue in the NFT ecosystem at large across the better part of the last 6 to 8 months that they've been around. Um now is 8 months generous? Have they really been along, around that long? No, they absolutely have not. I just am losing track of time. But that does not mean that their future proof event that they just had this past week was not indicative of a project that has been around since the beginning of NFTs because frankly it was the most professional presentation I've ever seen out of an NFT project to date. Okay. They did a massive presentation online announcing their future plans, their roadmap, and everything that you can expect from Proof Collective going into the next, I believe, two to three quarters. So all very interesting stuff um, out of this event, but we want to give you a very quick recap of all the things that they talked about. The first and probably most notable piece of this that I want to break down with you, Rich, is the announcement of already putting out what they're calling Moonbirds Mythics. This was teased as the kind of second iteration, their Moonbirds 2, um, most easily compared to something like the Mutant Ape Yacht Club, right? The idea that there's a secondary collection that is an expansion and trying to welcome more people into the Moonbirds ecosystem. So. What you can take away from this is that the Moonbirds Mythics are going to be a 20,000 supply PFP collection launching early next year. You'll be able to burn what they already have out there as Moonbirds oddities one for one for a Mythic. Um, Only 25 of those oddities can be burned per day though, which is interesting. Then you also have the burning reduces the available supply of Mythics for the Moonbirds. Um, And then from launch, nested moonbirds have a daily shot at winning a mythic. There'll be 25 hatching every single day. And oddities and moonbirds have an equal shot at rare mythics. As far as collection expansions go, what do you think of this methodology? Because it's very, very different from everything that we've seen in other collection expansions.
1: So the burning mechanism of making something more scarce, I think... Is always valuable if you have you're making something even more more finite. So you're starting with 20,000, you're slowly shrinking it down over time, which then should intrinsically drive price up. Good old economics. What I think is interesting about the path of them doing it this way is that they're pretty much saying, like, yes, we appreciate and like all of our original owners, the moonbirds, but we want this to be fair and equitable for the next wave of. Moonbird owners that come into this. And I like that aspect of it. So they're, they are trying to make it to where they are creating more r- raving fans who are getting more and more um, rare type of uh, traits. So I think it's unique. I think it, it there's a lot of elements of what, NAPES, uh, what, what the Boydick Yacht community did, but they're putting their own twist and spin on it. So I'm not mad at it, but I am glad that they are at least taking their own like approach to their second collection
0: my one criticism that i will share about this is that i do find the expansion of moonbirds mythics to almost be exclusionary um when you look at moonbirds mythics versus the competition you have all of these different projects that are really intent on providing a public mint to allow for more people from outside of the collection to come in in this case this is Moonbirds and Proof explicitly saying we are giving these to our community. If you're not already here, go pound rocks, um, which is strange because like, I feel like in the actual, in, in the event, they said like they want to expand the community. I'm not sure how this expands the community, except for increasing supply. So we'll have to see how that one part of it plays out. Then you have the art component. Of Proof Collective in the announcements they gave there. So, one of the things that Kevin Rose specifically said is that they want to be a launch pad for outstanding and diverse artists as we go forward. It's a really, really powerful mission. And that's why they've expanded upon their Grails platform, where they've been f- featuring um, specific big time artists in the NFT space by including and expanding to um, what they are calling Proof um, Collabs, which sounds exactly as it is, curated collections which is going to be you know, a lot more chosen artists to drop on the Proof platform exclusively for Proof Pass holders. And then of course, continuing with what they have in Grails. Uh, very straightforward there, in my opinion. Not a lot more to it. But then you also have Proof announcing the launch of Moonbird's DAO. So they're going to be forming a treasury for that soon and allowing that to kind of work collectively with Proof Collective. Pretty interesting. Uh, but they're really leaning in like most to the idea of keeping and maintaining moonbirds as a top three PFP going forward. Uh, they did give a very quick shout out to the folks over at onchain Monkey because they are trying to make a very concerned move to move moonbirds completely on chain, which is an interesting move. Um, but the final piece of big news out of the entire um, future proof event was that they are officially moving forward with the proof of conference. So this is going to be their own big event for people in their ecosystem. It's going to take place in mid 2023. Now that is a ton of proof content, right? And like the reason why we have to spend the time talking about this is because there's no doubt to me that they are going to be one of the preeminent like Leaders in this space going forward, it is so clear when you look at the type of quality and like pr- preparedness they had going into this event. Do you see? Do you see them as like the number one player in the NFT space right now? After
1: hearing all of the shit they're trying to put out, nope. I see them as being a top ten. um Maybe you know I'll I'll even squeeze them in potentially like a top five. They they have so. much more to go before they can even try to compete with the number one which right now is the board apes but they're they're sure trying would you argue the uh, opposite
0: I would argue the opposite because I did leave one thing out and that's that they also have now secured an additional 50 million dollars in funding um led by a 16 Z so now they have a 16 Z and Alexis Ohanian in their corner um, which is kind of crazy. So you have a ton of capital exposure. You have a ton of opportunity. You have an expanding team. You have a very clear vision for your project and you're communicating that entire vision. Okay, that to me is the differentiating factor here. I think you st- are starting to see certain projects in the NFT space with extremely powerful IP that are coming out of the woodwork and, sa- and really planting their flag. Board A Yacht Club has planted their flag and said firmly we are going to be a metaverse company, but we are going to be the supreme of the metaverse. They, they are a streetwear brand as far as I'm concerned. They are a luxury item. Then you look at something like Proof. Proof is really trying to establish themselves as something wholly unique. Then you look at a company like On-chain Monkey that is really driven by the fact that they need to be more uh, future forward and thinking about the good of society, right? A green initiative. Then, lastly, you have somebody like um, Doodles that's trying to be the cartoon network of Web3. I think there's a lot of potential across all of them. But again, in the interest of time, let's fly into our last story. I want to get a comment from you because I know that you got to drop um, before we get um, done here. But A16Z has made a big announcement across the last week that they're creating six NFT-specific copyright licensing frameworks to address existing ambiguity. This is a really big deal. Give me your perspective on it, and then I'll let you go.
1: There's a lot of different directions that this can head. I think it it helps that they're trying to really go straight into the face of copyright licensing so that they can get all of this established to make sure that they CYA But then also to kind of set the precedent of how copyright licensing should happen into the future so i think it's great i think it's a a great first step into uh, the future of copyright licensing law that's going to be set for the nft space
0: well i appreciate your perspective on it i'm going to expand on this for uh, for another couple minutes for the audience but richard thank you so much for joining me today i appreciate you taking the time i know you got to run Um, We will, of course, see Richard on the next episode of our interview series. Um, He had a great interview out this past Monday. But Richard, I'll let you know. Thanks again for being here. Sure. Later, y'all. Later. All right. So for those at home, let's go ahead and um, wrap this show up by going over exactly what it is that A16Z has envisioned for this new copyright licensing framework. They've identified it as six specific areas. So. The base layer is the Creative Commons Zero Universal license that you've heard a lot about in recent weeks. That was what Moonbirds recently moved to and stirred up that entire pot of conversation. Um, You have other projects that are CC0 like Nouns. um, And there was another project recently that was CC0 that I'm, of course, going to blank on at the moment. Um, But that's okay. Oh, yeah, ENS Maxis. That was the one. So very interesting stuff there. But their entire, like vision around CC zero is that you can of course use it for copy display and distribution, distribution, you know, fully without any type of, um, like actual restriction, then you have the ability to use it for commercial use. So you can put it on merchandise and sell it, or you can resell graphics that feature it. And then you can of course modify and adapt it freely, but then you have these five other specific areas. You have personal use licenses with termination for hate speech. So a personal use license that allows um, the creator to revoke that license based on certain le- like uh, levels of speech that you know, can be deemed as discriminatory. You have personal use licenses in general, which will allow for like the same exact copy, display, and distribution rights that a CC0 does, um, but it also allows for sub-licensing. So it's not exactly treated the same as a CC zero license. Then you have two different types of non-exclusive commercial rights. So the first type um, allows for a termination for hate speech clause, just like the other personal use license for termination for hate speech. And then you have the normal non-exclusive commercial rights. This is, at least in my opinion, going to be the one that is going to be seen most broadly across the NFT space going forward because the creator retains all of like these ex- exploitation rights where they can provide a cease and desist at will. Um, it's very interesting to see them trying to differentiate all of these different types of licensing because what you see right now most commonly across the space is this idea of an exclusive set of commercial rights where no creator um, essentially has the retention of exploitation rights. So they can't, you know, ask people to, you know, adhere to certain things. It's it's complicated. But if you want to check out this chart in more depth, you can of course check out our YouTube channel where we've detailed it on screen and you can get a better idea of how it all actually breaks out and how it compares. Now, the important part of this that I really want to get to is that we're starting to see more experimentation as it relates to these different licensing Um, and, you know, commercial rights platforms. And we're going to continue to see that experimentation move forward. But because it's been such a prominent part of the debate, you know, going on around NFTs lately as to what um, licenses and commercial rights actually stack up, it means that this is at the very least a foundation, a framework, someplace that we can all kind of start to, you know, understand our ip rights around so it is very interesting to me that they're moving forward with this i do like the way that it all breaks down on screen so again go over to our youtube channel check it out we're going to do our best to make sure that we repost this graphic later on the week over on cryptocurrency twitter uh, channels and of course on other social platforms that you may be following cryptocurrency at but that is going to wrap up this week's edition of the aftershock um, again, I have been Stephen Miller. I really appreciate you taking the time to come out and listen to this week's aftershock. Um, again, Richard had to piece out a little bit early, and that's perfectly fine. I am here to wrap it up for you. Remember to give Cryptocurrent a follow over on Twitter at underscore cryptocurrent underscore, where we also do our Twitter spaces every Thursday, non-fungible Thursdays at seven p m Eastern time. Um that is something that I've been hosting and having a blast, um, you know, having different guests on from around the crypto space getting the chance to keep you updated on what's going on in NFTs, but also to shed a little light on some alpha that's going around the space week to week. But that is going to do it for this week's edition of the Aftershock. We certainly hope that you enjoyed it. Again, I have been Stephen Miller. You can follow me at steve miller underscore PHX over on Twitter. But until next time, folks, we hope that you stay Cryptocurrent and we will see you next week for another edition of the Aftershock. Catch you later. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cryptocurrent. Cryptocurrent is a cryptocurrency and blockchain education platform that's bridging the gap between the curious newcomers who are just discovering the space and the thought leaders who are shaping its future. All opinions expressed by Richard Carthon, the Cryptocurrent team, and their guests on this show are exclusively their own opinions. This show and any other Cryptocurrent production is exclusively for informational purposes.